forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I am so glad that I've been given this opportunity, but I have to uh, preface it by telling you a little of my background. On March 6, 1999, my mother passed away. And because of that, I kind of realized directly how, how finite our lives are. So I started doing films, music videos, and commercials because as a kid, I watched the storyline of Luke and Laura on General Hospital and was so inspired <laughs> that I wanted to be a professional actor. And so for years, I was involved in theater, plays. I read the scripture and Schrader Lane and a bunch of other stuff. Inevitably, because of the way Middle Tennessee is set up, especially for film and television, uh, there weren't a lot of minorities, uh, people of color, or women involved in uh, doing mainstream film and TV. But because I, I had a background, because my great uncle helped desegregate the schools, of getting people together, calling people, emailing, and all the, and he had that's my Facebook friends, you know that I will do this, I was able to get people to do it. Uh, and so I began to get a large number of African Americans involved in film and television. So I became an agent. <coughs> One of the things and one of the great honors of my life is I had the opportunity to meet a man named Rashard Rayford. I have an urban film, a feature film that I produce called Generational Curses, and he portrays one of the villains. But Rashard Rayford is a spoken word artist, and um, Rashard goes by Rashad the Poet. His music video for one of his um, uh, poems called The Breaks. The Breaks is a, uh, a seminal hip-hop uh, uh, music production by a legendary hip-hop group from a long time ago. And one of the things that he deals with is he deals with gentrification and racism. I, I, I brought this up and I told Robert about it because I thought the class might have been getting a little heavy. Uh, <laughs> getting a little awkward in here. <laughs> so I, want, I thought it would be appropriate to show a music video about racism and gentrification. Um, <laughs> that doesn't, that's inherently contradictory, but uh, I am, so that's the thing. If any of you, we wanted to get Rashad to come out and actually perform, uh, but his schedule is really, really rough as he's a member of the Temple Church in Northwest Nashville. I would ask all of you, if you like this music video or if you like the things that he's saying or think is profound, please follow him, Rashad the Poet, on Instagram. Uh, add him as a friend on Facebook, Rashad Raker, <laughs> because independent artists, um, actors, musicians, what we really need is a following of people beyond our immediate social circle. So if you can do that, uh, Rashad the Poet, if you like it, Rashad Rayford as a Facebook friend, follow him so he can grow. He's got a lot of incredible poems. This is not hip hop, this is not really uh, hip hop in the traditional sense, it's a poem, but the music video, like I said, talks about these things. Thank you so much. <coughs>
taking time, she's moving second hand, others got it, but people can't keep searching out other options. Always told the rich, they in line to the rest. No work with a eye, living life, no regrets. I don't mind if you clap your hands and weep. And if you mind if you clap your hands and weep. One of the things about the genre, uh, if you look at Saul William, you look at even if you look at Shakespeare, um, it's 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 a situation where if you look at it, you have to really really dig deep into the lyrics and into the music video. Uh, one of the things that we talk about in class, the gentrification issue is you have a lot of gentrification, especially in North Nashville. Uh, you have these incredibly expensive apartments and condos next to abject poverty, and all these people still live in the same neighborhood. So that's the thing that's even more complex. I also want to take this time when you when you, we talk about North Nashville to introduce a very very dear friend of mine. I had a uh, a very very brief bout of homelessness for about three or four weeks. And once again, if you're my Facebook friend, I can tell you the whole story. I don't want to take the rest of the 45 minutes to tell you how I got there. But uh, one of the ways that I was able to come out of that in three weeks is because of my good friend Matt Gloucester. Uh, Matt Gloucester is a the head of the training division at Goodwill, that's the best way to say it. And I've actually been able to get a lot of personal mentorship from him, and I was able to get a job. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to invite Matt to this, these issues about race and poverty and education, Matt sees the other side of it. Well, the first day that I met him, that I trained him, he talked about things you can't do on a job. Like you can't show up drunk, 
you can't fall asleep. Uh, you got to stay the whole time. And I was amazed because I worked at McDonald's at 14 when I was 14 years old. I've always worked. And when I didn't work a nine to five job, I worked harder for myself. But there are a lot of people that didn't know that. And I found that to be mind blowing. Uh, even the people in my neighborhood, my general neighborhood, if they didn't work a, a nine to five job, they sold drugs. And when they were selling drugs, they, did, they sold drugs all day long uh, and all night long. And I know that's an awkward uh, conversation to have, but they knew the value of work, even if it was illegal. But some of the people that I work with at Goodwill, they didn't understand the concept of work. So Matt uh, sees that because one of, the, one of the other tests that they have at Goodwill is to see if you know how to use a computer, they ask you to email them. And then if, and if you can email them, they email you back and they say you passed the test. I found that to be incredible in the day and time we live in. But that's some of the population uh, that they were dealing with at Goodwill. And I wanted Matt to come and at least see some of the conversations we're having here because I think the conversations we're having here are very valuable. So, got um, any questions? William. So, uh, this morning, I just want to show a few videos from uh, Dr. Uh, Brenda Salter McNeil. Um, she's an author and she's a professor out at um, the School of Theology at Seattle Pacific University. And uh, she directs the uh, Reconciliation Studies program. Um, she's been in the uh, Ministry of Reconciliation for 25 years. Done this internationally. Also, she's gone over to um, she's gone to Haiti and uh, uh, she's gone over to Africa uh, to work on re reconciliation um, uh, issues and everything. Um, she spent 14 years as the uh, multi-ethnic ministry specialist at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Um, she is a theologian. She um, has a doctorate of ministry. This is her life. This is what she does. And um, I just wanted to show y'all a few of her videos where she talks about how to move forwards in reconciliation from a biblical standpoint. I know that you know when we get on social media or the news or whatever, we hear several different ways of uh, how reconciliation could be done, but personally speaking, I think that biblically is the, is the best way uh, if we're going to, to do things uh, the way that's pleasing to God. So I want to start off with this video. We'll watch two videos and then we'll have a think pair share. Young activists who we met with the night before. 
They said this, we'll be meeting on the steps of the Federal Court building at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Are you coming or not? That question challenged us at the core. And I know for sure that that question is the very same question being asked of the church at large. Are you coming or not? That's the question this generation is asking of us. That's the question that we must answer as faith leaders and as people who represent the kingdom of God. Reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving repentance, forgiveness, and justice that restores broken relationships and structures to reflect God's intention for all creation to flourish. That's what God intended from the beginning, and that's what we've been entrusted to do. What I've learned over the years is that reconciliation is a journey, but we can get there if we walk together and if we stay on the road. And so I invite you to join me on this journey to reconciliation. I truly believe that we are living in a strategic time in history. And I really believe that the church has an answer to the questions of what this world needs when it comes to racial injustice, division, and hatred. We have been entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. So, my brothers and sisters, when this generation asks us, are you coming or not? I believe the answer must be yes. And this book will show you how to do it. If you're looking for a good book to help out with that, uh, with re racial reconciliation, that is definitely a good one. It's helped me out tremendously this semester. Of experiencing what we just experienced. 
experience in South Carolina in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and the man who kills them said he wanted to start a race war, that people need a gentle, caring, polite, humble response when they say that this was racial violence, and you don't therefore say, no, this was really about mental health. See, that's not a gentle response. Am I clear? Gentleness is the strength to shut my mouth, even though I want to make my point. Gentle is the capacity to care more about you than, than me. So when you say Black Lives Matter, I don't come back with hashtag All Lives Matter because the man killed the people in the black church. I carry you when I'm being gentle. Because when we post a package, and we understand that something in the package is valuable to us. We take the time to write outside of that package, handle with care. We can't have this kind of tragedy happen and the people of God not know how to be gentle with us. particular video um, it's like 13 minutes long where she goes on to talk about a letter that um, that uh, a Caucasian gentleman had written and he posted on the door of an African uh, American Episcopal Church there in the area where she lived at or or in another area anyway he posted it on the on a AME church door and uh, it, it, was, it was pretty touching the things that uh, this man said in this um, in this letter, and he was talking about themes, action steps that uh, he could take as a white man um, to uh, work towards reconciliation. So at this time, we're going to have a uh, think pair share. Lee's going to tell what um, he heard. <laughs> yeah, for, first, uh, make sure you've quickly, if you haven't done this before, this is the way we do these. You talk with somebody that's not your spouse, somebody around you close by. So um, that'll be your first assignment. Make sure you get somebody you talk to. Then secondly, I'm going to give you a question. Uh, each of you think about the question for, I don't know, 30 seconds, and then I'll call time. And then you share your answer with the person you're paired up with, OK? And then we'll share some with the group. So first, you're going to make sure you have your person you're going to talk to. Second, you'll think about it 30 seconds in silence. And then you'll share. So let me give you the question before you identify, um, before you start on that. Um, out of the, um, the first video by Dr. McNeil, um, she, asked, she shares this text that she got from her uh, young people that she was working with, the activists she was working with there in Ferguson. And they ask, are you coming or not? So here's, here's the first question I'd like to ask you to, to ponder on. Um, can you identify anything in yourself that keeps you from being willing to come? And what I mean by that is, um, what, what's, what's, what do you think might be next for you personally, for your family, for your, your community of people in, in our church? Um, and what might hinder you from taking a next step towards contributing to the justice and the peace of our community? Okay, so take, uh, take 30 seconds. First, make sure you got who you're going to talk to. Everybody good with that? And now, now take let's let's take let's take uh, 
Let's do this as a contemplative exercise. So everybody take uh, just 30 seconds. Let's be quiet. Let's be quiet for 30 seconds. Think about your answer to that question. And then I'll call time and then you share, okay? So let's be quiet for 30. Okay, take a little time to share. something that your conversation partner shared that you found compelling or poignant. So somebody share with us something that a conversation partner shared that you found uh, compelling or poignant. One of my partners uh, pointed out that sometimes you, you risk uh, losing a little bit of, I guess, social capital and stand out if you're a little more aggressive in your approach to this. And sometimes it's just a little more convenient to fly underneath the radar just to get through the next day. Yeah. So. Yeah. Loss of potential social capital. There's a great there's a great pressure to um, keep our mouth shut, and it's a it's a huge social it's the way social groupings work, and uh, to figure out when to speak, when to shut up, when you practice gentleness by keeping your mouth shut, as she said in the second video, and when it's incumbent upon us to speak. Uh, great. 
I think especially the last couple months, I've been more reluctant to jump on any sort of bandwagon because of the amount of disinformation that's being presented across the board. And there's that fear of, if I speak out on this and it turns out that what I'm speaking out on is not actually true, um, that it's more agenda than truth, that you look foolish um, and you may be supporting something or wrongly critiquing a group of people. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was always impressed with, I, I guess it was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. who put forward, I, I think his, one of his first points and kind of his four-step action plan was always gather information is the first thing, right? And gathering information and getting ourselves schooled and stuff is really important. And taking the time to learn and taking the time to pay attention and taking the time to have conversations that we need to have is a terribly important first step. William? One of the things is, so when I was at school at TSU, um, I was very much a campus activist. We wanted the federal uh, law to be segregated. I thought that was incorrect. I thought it was racist. So now that I'm going back after starting my business and finishing my degree at Lipscomb, I literally would just like to walk across the state in August like this. That, that's all I wanted to do. But there's a part of me with all the racial contention that's going on. It's like, man, you know, I should be involved. But, like, I don't want to blow this and they, so people, I'd be misinterpreted as a rabble rouser or militant. I said, well, I, I, at church, I can be very outspoken. The auto preacher is very open to these things. But the president, both provosts, uh, my department head, everybody at Lipscomb goes to the church. So <laughs> we go to a situation where I know that God, because like I said before, like I said, if I had not met Matt, I still might be homeless. But I know that God will always have my back. But there's a part of me like, this is so wrong. Good morning, Dr. Lowry. You know, it's, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be, and, and, and I think for a lot of people here, even the ones, if you look at the size of the church and you look at the ones that are taking this class versus some of the other, I'm curious if we were to take, if we would have a Saturday and have this class in front of everyone, would these, just these same people come? Or if Josh preached about this, one Saturday, I mean one Sunday, if you preached about the class, or we could do the class, and they knew about it beforehand, well, does just these people come? So that's that's for me. That's I'm just explaining something. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Let's do. We've got time to do one more think, pair, share, and we'll we'll be done by uh, twelve till. Okay. This is real quick. We did. We said that same thing. Very Excellent. Same thing. Yeah. Where, where are where are the members of Otter Creek? Where are? They? Uh, let's do this one quickly. Um, first, I'd like to repeat what I heard her say um, in thinking about what, what are we talking about when we're talking about reconciliation. She says it's forgiveness, it's repentance, it's justice. Uh, and I, I think I don't want to add it's truth-telling. It's forgiveness, repentance, justice, truth-telling. And then she says it's for two, two realms, for relationships and for structures. For what purpose? For the purpose of shared flourishing. I think it's a beautiful kind of definition. Um, and then she talked about gentleness, which is a compelling, I've never heard this definition of gentleness before. The ability not to make my point when you are hurting. Or she said it more pointedly, gentleness is the strength to shut my mouth even when I want to make my point. So here's the question. Um, can you identify either a point in which you failed to be gentle or 
a point at which you failed to be courageous. Because obviously, we've got to discern between those two, right? Because uh, an ability to shut my mouth may, in fact, be cowardice, or an ability to shut my mouth may, in fact, be gentleness. And so think a bit about, can you identify a moment in which you failed to be gentle or in which you failed to be courageous that you would share with your partner? So let's take 20 seconds to be quiet, let you think about that. Take a bit of time to share, if you will. was uh, a moment in which you failed to practice gentleness or a moment in which you failed to practice courage anybody uh, why don't we say will not let you share for your partner and if you want to share for yourself uh, that you you could uh, share in that way anybody Brian? Well, I, I, I think we, we have to go to social media because it's so hard to be gentle in that environment hmm. and one of the things that that I realized that I had done kind of unintentionally was during one of the protests, um, I had found uh, what I thought was an applicable quote from Martin Luther King Jr. and I posted it on my Facebook page. And my intention was to put that in front of my mostly white friends on Facebook. But I realized as I saw other people posting that and other people posting their responses to that, that what I had also done was thrown his words back at my black friends who were experiencing that situation very, very differently. Mm. Even though even though my intention was to go to one group, I had also managed to put it 
in front of another group where I really had no business going, well, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said, and if you believe him, you should, and, and yeah. that was not my intention at all, but that's how it came across, because I was trying to make my point at a time that they were heard of. Hmm. Thank you, thank you. Somebody else? <coughs> Something my partner shared was the question of why did I go to Ferguson? Could have driven there. You know, why did I not go? And I think that's something like living in this area, we can ask ourselves like why why did we not go and support? And if we didn't, like what was the reason for that? So thank you. I have more to that, thank you. One more? Well, we had discussed the fact that occasionally it's convenient that uh, when you're, in your mind, you're being gentle by not speaking out to, say, a spouse or some, whoever it might be, that it's convenient that you don't have to be, you may not, you may be lacking courage when, in fact, in your mind, you're thinking you're being gentle. Hmm. And that the yeah. two sometimes kind of come together and it's hard to tell which you're being or not mm -hmm. being. Yeah. Yes. Good word. Thank you. Scott, you got it. I, I was just going to say, like, in that situation, one of the things that I've heard that helps a whole lot, I think, is to, to not think, it's not just between you and the other person. Uh, if you are the, the agent of God in that situation, uh, you are, you're more worried about his reputation in the situation, and you allow that to try to guide your response. Not, how am I going to feel? Is it going to make me look like a coward? Or am I showing courage? But in this situation, as prayerfully as I can go into it, what what would God see done here? And and Jesus had interactions that are are, are are very different with different people in different situations. So that's where spirit living has to come in. Um, and if we can worry less about our reputation and more about His, I think that's going to be our compass. That's a great word. And and it reminds me of uh, there's a I think it's in Bonhoeffer's book. Uh, uh, life together where he says he encourages us to, to remember that we never have a, a direct relationship with any other human being but that it is always and only mediated through the presence of Christ and I find, my, I find it helpful to me especially in very difficult settings or difficult situations or difficult relationships to, to remind myself of the presence of Christ and that I'm communicating to that other person with the presence of Christ there and through, through the mediation of Christ so I find it's a beautiful thing you remind us of there. Let us go in peace. Thank you. Paul, Paul, Paul wants to say one thing. This is all It's back. It's going back to the original topic when you land on I've been thinking about it. I think we saw America. What what made Linda pick that sentence? You know what I'm trying to say. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> what made her pick that sheet? The doctor was on the front row. That was a miracle. Thank you. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>